Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm so glad to be with you here on this Palm Sunday, and in many ways, it's a privilege for me to be preaching on Palm Sunday because for some reason, over the years, I have rarely preached on Palm Sunday. But I got to thinking about it, and I realized that Palm Sunday is around me practically every day of my life here at St. John's. In fact, as I was preparing this Palm Sunday service, I looked up from my computer screen, looked over at my bookshelf, I saw a cross that was given to me by Brian and Anne Marie Schluter, I think 10 years ago when I came back home to be a pastor. Here's a picture of it. It has palm branches on this cross, and it has the words, John 12, 13, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then my wife reminded me, she reminded me that there's a picture above my head at my office and it's been staring down at me for 10 years. And I was like, oh yeah, I look at that picture every day. It's by an artist by the name of Edie Harper. And she has these awesome prints depicting biblical scenes. I took a picture of it, here it is. And she titles this one, Here He Comes. She's got some great words about it. I encourage you to research it later, but I love the way the people are depicted. Different ages, male and female, even a child. All of them are holding palm branches. All of them set in the city of Jerusalem. All of them looking in one direction. All of them anticipating his arrival, his coming on the scene. And as many have called it, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, here he comes. They're anticipating Jesus' arrival. They wanted to see him with their own eyes. Many had heard the rumors of what he had been doing over the past three years. Some of them had witnessed it with their very own eyes. In fact, they had just seen Lazarus raised from the dead by Jesus. And if they thought back over those three years, you look in the Gospel of John, what about all the miracles, water to wine, feeding of the 5,000, walking on water? What about the healings, the official's son, the healing at the pool, Bethesda, the healing of the man born blind? And what about his claims, very messianic in nature, his powerful teachings, the controversies over his identity and his struggle with the corrupt Jewish government? His claim to be the great I am before Abraham was born. I am, he said. Controversial claims, controversial actions. He had cleared the temple of the money changers from the corruption to make it a house of prayer again. The people had to be thinking, thinking about what he could do, what might he do, who could he be. And all of it was set in this backdrop of being occupied by the Romans. The Jewish people had for a long time been wanting freedom from their foreign oppressors. And here he comes, Jesus. Could he be the one to end it all? Could he be the one to, to lead us out of this misery, to lead us out of this occupation, to free us from oppression? It got me thinking. It got me thinking about today. It got me thinking about right now, about this time that we are in with this whole COVID-19 pandemic, social distancing, flattening the curve, hand-washing, glove-wearing, mask-wearing, stay-at-home isolation. We're not occupied 
and oppressed by a foreign government, but we are occupied and preoccupied and anxious and oppressed by this virus. This virus has literally changed everyone's life on the planet Earth, and we want it to end. We've seen Jesus heal. We've seen him do the miracles. We've seen him stand up against all that is wrong. And we might be wondering now, too, about what he could do. We may be praying, rend the heavens and come down and eradicate this disease, restore our economy, heal those who are sick and dying. Let us embrace our loved ones again. Give us our jobs back. Like a blink of an eye, we know that he could do it. He could do it before Easter. He could do it before Monday, Thursday. He could do it right now. He could. But will he? Should he? Right now, we all have different expectations of God. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people had different expectations of God and of his Messiah and how he would come and what it would look like and how he should do his thing in this world of our Hundreds of thousands of people had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Man, there was no social distancing there. The city was jam-packed. People were everywhere. They were staying everywhere. They were staying in the outlying villages as well. Jews from all over the world had come home to celebrate, to worship to remember God delivering them from the oppression in Egypt. God had done it before. Could he be doing it again with this Jesus? Could Jesus be the one that's going to set us free from Rome? John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day, the great crowd, that had come for the festival, that had come for Passover. They heard, there were rumors, there was rumors that preceded Jesus, that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches, and they went out to meet him. They were shouting, Hosanna, shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, shouting, blessed is the King of Israel. Wow. There's a whole bunch in that verse, a whole lot to preach on, a whole lot to talk on. But what about those palm branches, right? What's Palm Sunday without some palm branches, right? And I was thinking about that this past week. I was like, wait a minute. I don't think Marianne is ordering any palm branches for the church. So I was riding my bikes, uh, riding bikes with my kids during PE this past week because I'm in charge of PE at my house and we're going on a bike ride for PE. So we were down at the church by, local church by our house, and I looked up and I see 10 huge palm trees. And I said, kids, girls, you got to climb up these palm trees and get some palm trees down. It's only about 50 or 60 feet up. This is going to be P.E. They looked at me and they're like, no. I looked over, I saw on the ground a palm branch. It was like a gift from God. Here it is. It's a little old and brown now because I picked it a few days ago off of the ground, but I was like, God, yes, thank you for this palm branch. I grabbed this palm branch. We jumped on our bikes. I jumped on my Schwinn Beach Cruiser. I had one hand on the handlebar, one hand holding this palm, and I'm driving down the street on our bikes, and people started honking. It was awesome. I felt like I was at the very first Palm Sunday. But what is up with these palms? Why are they a big deal, you might be wondering. Well, you see, in Jesus' day, they were often used in processions. They were sometimes used in religious ones, and they grew plentifully near Jerusalem. 
But they had also become a symbol, a Jewish national symbol. Here's a palm on a Judean coin from the time of Jesus, and it was considered an emblem of victory, a nationalistic expression. And so as they sort of started waving these palms in the air, it would be similar to us waving an American flag at an inauguration, at a victory, at some sort of political victory. And so for them, it was sort of this blend of religion and nationalism coming together. In verse 13, it says they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. They're going out to meet him. Some, he's coming into Jerusalem. They are pumped up. They are literally amped up. It says that they were shouting, that they were yelling, Hosanna, which literally means save us, we pray. Most likely, they didn't know the literal meaning behind it. They kind of sort of used it as an exclamation, as a praise God. They're saying, praise God, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a messianic expression. It comes straight from Psalm 118. you got to read Psalm 118 this week to get into Holy Week. It's powerful connections. But basically, the people in the crowd, they're saying that Jesus is the Messiah. But the crowd, they continue to shout. And they say, blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus is silent. Jesus is not denying it, which, by the way, that could be considered as insurrection on Jesus' part. But those words, the king of Israel, they they weren't in the prophecy. The, The frenzied crowd, they sort of added, they called Jesus the king of Israel. On the one hand, that communicates to us, yes, the royalty of Jesus. But on the other hand, it informs us of the expectations of the crowd that very first Palm Sunday. They wanted a king. They wanted a king who would free them from what occupied them at the very moment, oppressed them at the very moment, that corrupt government, that corrupt leadership. They wanted a king, maybe a king like Alexander the Great, who rode in on his war horse, Bucephalus, into battle, into victory. His military power and his might conquered the world. Or maybe like Caesar Augustus who led Rome, Rome who conquered Greece. Perhaps Jesus will ride into Jerusalem, our powerful, mighty Messiah, our King of Israel, high on his warhorse. Where the Maccabees had failed, Jesus would succeed. Jesus will lead a coup. He will light the fire of revolution. He would take the clearing of the temple to a whole new level. He just raised a man from the dead. If anyone can do it, he can do it. He's going to come into town. He's going to eradicate this COVID-19 Roman oppression forever right here, right now. Save us, we pray. Hosanna. Blessed is the King of Israel. But that's not how it goes, right? WWJD, what would Jesus John chapter 12, verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. What? A young donkey? No war horse like the great military leaders of Greece and Rome, Alexander the Great, Caesar Augustus, a young donkey? 
I love how the Zambian painter Emmanuel Nsama depicts Jesus coming, coming calmly, peacefully, into Jerusalem amongst all the people, no war horse, no sword in his hand, sitting upon a young donkey to fulfill the prophecy written by Zechariah and told to us in John chapter 12, verse 15, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. That's perhaps a a prophetic word that the crowds didn't want to hear, a word they didn't understand. It's straight from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. But if you read chapter 9, verse 10 of Zechariah, it fleshes out what it means. It fleshes out what kind of king Jesus would be. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. And I love these powerful words. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken and he, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, it stands in complete, in sharp contrast to Alexander's, the great empire, which was founded on bloodshed. It stands in deep contrast to the limited and the near-sighted expectations of the Jewish people of what a messianic king should be. Jesus will come, and he will establish a universal kingdom of peace. Not a government of military might. But even the disciples, they didn't get it. John chapter 12, verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Hindsight is twenty-twenty, right? I mean, looking back at it, it was clear to the disciples after Jesus had died, after Jesus had rose, after he had been glorified, through the lens of Easter, through the lens of the resurrection, through the lens of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it all made sense to them. Jesus made a way for peace, worldwide peace, eternal peace, the kind of peace that a government can never give you, the kind of peace that a cure or a vaccination for a disease can never give you. A deep-seated, eternal, cosmic peace. A peace even in the midst of oppression and injustice and brokenness and war and anxiety and depression and natural disasters and even COVID-19. Peace with our Heavenly Father for eternity. Peace with each other. Peace with this creation. It's his kingdom. It's a radical kingdom. It's an otherworldly government, and it has stood the test of time, my friends. Alexander the Great's kingdom is gone. 
Caesar Augustus, he's only got the salad and the pizza place, and those pizzas are terrible. But Jesus, Jesus, 2,000 years later, we wave our palm branches from our our beach cruisers on Yorba Street in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, and people are honking their horns for Jesus. Thousands of us at this very moment connected to St. John's, connected to Peace Lutheran Church, connected throughout the world are in the middle of this time right now experiencing the grace of God through incarnational technologies. And think about this. Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, a great crowd of people, they, they went out to meet Jesus. And in a sort of ironic spouting of prophetic hyperbole and frustrations, the Pharisees, they said to one another, John 12, verse 19, they said, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It's Holy Week, my friends. 2.3 billion Christians throughout the world will embrace this most holiest of weeks like they've never embraced it before. And maybe that is one of the great gifts of this pandemic. It's called Holy Week because a radical king of peace rode into the epicenter of humanity on a little donkey. It's called Holy Week. Because that king sat around a table with his loved ones and he gave them his body and blood in the bread and wine. He gave it to the entire world to nourish us with forgiveness. It's called Holy Week because on that very next day he gave his body and blood on the cross to save the world from their sins. It's called Holy Week because on the third day he rose. He rose from the grave to bring victory and peace to the world. And so whether we shout it, we shout it with frenzy and we we wave our palm branches in the air, or maybe we cry it in sadness, we whisper it with devotion, 2.3 billion of us start this most holiest of weeks going out to meet Jesus on his way into Jerusalem and we confess with our hearts we confess with our lives Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Amen